Very good, very good. Well, welcome out to our 6 p.m. service. If you're new, if you're visiting, awesome to have you with us. My name's Trav. I'm the youth pastor here. Um, it's a real blessing to be part of the team here at Bridgman, and I, I hope you're blessed um, here as well. Um, we're in a series, as Twigger mentioned, we're in a series in James. We've been in it for a while, and it's, it's um, been incredible so far, and we're continuing in this series here tonight. And uh, James's purpose throughout uh, the whole book of James is to form and, and nurture a Christian community as a countercultural embodiment of God's values and commandments. This is his purpose throughout the book of James, is to create in us a people who would be countercultural to our society at the moment. A, uh, a, an author I read this week, Richard Borkham, says, what is needed for the Christian community to de- what is needed is for the Christian community to develop as a countercultural alternative to the dominant culture, standing in critical solidarity with all that is good in the dominant society and in prophetic critique of all that is corrupting and destructive. And uh, in, in other words, what he's saying is um, the book of James is all about um, embodying God's values, you know, going, going and doing it, going and, um, and physically bringing about um, the, the, what we're called to do as Christians. And uh, when I say embody, I, I really mean exactly what the Nike slogan is, which is just do it, you know, just go and do it. That is embodying uh, God's word. And, um, you know, to embody faith is to go and um, live a life that is faith-filled, live a life that is um, counting on God. To embody love is to go and physically show um, your love to someone. Go and, and embody love through your, through your actions. Um, James wants us to embody our countercultural identity in Christ. And uh, one commentator even describes James as calling us to live in light of eternity. Living in light of eternity is what we're called to do. And uh, I start with that because... Um, it's ironic, actually, that, that, that Beck in her, in her testimony talked about the conviction of the, the Holy Spirit, the conviction of God's Word, because we come to a passage tonight which is incredibly convicting. It's uh, an incredibly uh, strong passage. And uh, I don't want us to get this idea when we read this, that um, this is you know, the hammer of, of, of God coming down on, on us in a sense that he, He's wanting to crush us, He's wanting to destroy us, um, It's not in any sense of that, but it's actually through the lens of God wants to create in us a people that are going to be countercultural. He wants us to embody being countercultural to our society. And so uh, let's turn now, let's turn to uh, James 5 verses 1 to 6 and let's read together um, what, what God's word says. It says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one 
who was not opposing you. This is God's word for us tonight. And I told you, it is convicting, right? It is harsh. It is strong. Um, James is not pulling any punches here when he, when he delivers this message to these people, to the, to the church he writes to. Uh, what we can tell right from the get-go is that James uses such strong language, such, you know, such strong imagery about this because he's, he's, he's trying to get across how important this is, how important the issue of money and the issue of greed is. And he, he feels it needs to be called out. You know, he's, he's okay with letting us feel that, that nervous twinge of, of, of conviction or that, that sting of a reprimand. He's okay with letting us feel that. that is, that's more important than us continuing down a life of, of recklessness and of, and of sin. He, you know, it's worth it uh, for James to say this. And uh, throughout the book of James as well, we see this, this pattern of, of James correcting you know, the, the behavior of the church, correcting um, the conduct of the church. In, in chapter two, he calls out those who are showing personal favoritism and he says, stop, you need to stop doing that. That's not how you live um, in accordance with what God's called you to, to live. In chapter three, he, he, asks, he calls out the wise to, to come and show your good deeds. In chapter four, he, he calls out those who are quarreling and waging war within the community and now in chapter five, he turns his attention to the rich. He's, he's just, he's making sure that we are walking in line as, as God's countercultural embodied people. And uh, his audience, it's, it's really important to understand his audience um, tonight, who he's talking to, who are these rich people? And uh, these people in the community um, we need to know they're not just financially rich, you know, they're not just well off people. They are people who are hoarding wealth. They're people who are, are storing money. They're getting all their money together and they're not putting it to use. That's what it means by, by hoarding. That's what they're doing. They're, they're getting all this stuff and they're just, it's just sitting there as a means of a comfort, as a, as a means of a, um, of, of a security in life. But they're not actually putting it to use. Even more so, uh, they're gathering clothes and they're gathering possessions and they're doing all these things. They're getting all these things together, but they're not using it. Again, it's not being put to use. And as a result, it's actually rotting away. It's, it's not being used and it's rotting while it's there. Um, before, um, before I was married, before Lauren and I were married, I lived uh, with a bunch of mates in a, in a share house. And um, it was an awesome time, but... One of the things about a boys' share house is that um, no one wants to be the mum, but there has to be a mum in the share house. There has to be a parent. There has to be someone who is, is going to make sure the bills get paid. There has to be someone who's going to uh, make sure the bins get put out. You know what I mean? There has to be someone who's the mum. And um, when no one's the mum, um, weird smells start coming out of your fridge, Weird smells start coming out of the pantry because no one's checking on it. No one's making sure the food is getting put in the bin. No one's making sure the food's not going to waste. And um, so I can speak from experience. There would be many times when, when us boys would walk into the kitchen and suddenly, I don't know how it happened, but a new smell would be coming from the, the fridge, this awful smell or this awful smell from the pantry. Two of my personal favorites, there's too many to count. Two of my personal favorites were... Um, 
were, was a bag of potatoes that had um, just, it was out of sight, out of mind in the pantry. And um, we only found it when it had actually fully liquefied and had burst open the plastic it was in and um, spilled all through the, the shelf in our, in, our, um, in our cupboard, in our pantry. The second one, um, this is probably more of a personal favorite, but um, the second one um, was that we, we had steamed some broccoli in the microwave and then um, forgotten to get it out of the microwave. And then we went away for the weekend, all of us. And the first person who opened, you know, he pressed the button and the door opens, just about got king hit by the stench of, of broccoli, just disgusting broccoli left in there from the weekend. And um, we don't have to, we, we fully understand what it means for food to, to rot. We fully understand what it means. Like we all have our own experiences of, of food going off and, and that sort of thing. And um, what James is saying is, is actually your money is like that as well. Your possessions are like that. Your clothes are like that. You know, everything that is, is material um, is temporary. And unless it's used, it's, it's going to go to waste. It's all going to go to waste. Your material stuff is temporary. Um, not only is James calling this out in, in these people, he's actually also condemning something else. He's condemning them for, for not paying their workers. He's condemning these rich landowners for not um, repaying the people that have done work on the, on the land. And in James's culture, there was people called day laborers. And these people were considered the, the, um, one of the most vulnerable groups of the poor. And it's because these people literally lived day to day. They, they, they would get work during the day and they would uh, work for minimum wage and then they would receive their payment at the very end of the day. And so these people literally lived from, from hand to mouth. That payment at the end of the day meant that they could eat um, that night. And this offense of not paying uh, the day laborers is what is, actually goes way back to Leviticus. Um, it's, it's a deep offense because um, if these people didn't get paid, then they couldn't, they couldn't eat. They, they, even if it was the next morning that they got paid, um, that was their whole livelihood being stripped away from them. And James is saying, don't, don't do this. Don't, don't withhold payments from people who deserve them. Don't do this. I think in, for us, um, and there will be people that, that have businesses and have people that they're employed and there will be uh, people who have businesses and have laborers that work for them. But for us that don't, there's a sense in which James is, is saying, make sure you pay back uh, people who you owe. And this, is, this was such a convicting thing for me because um, I think we're all guilty of this. I can definitely see this in my own life. But when you owe someone back for something, maybe you've, you've gone out for dinner and you said, yeah, we'll, we'll split it and I'll, I'll flick you the money later. You know, I'll, I'll get your bank details and I'll message that money through to you. I'll transfer that rather. Um, but we drag our feet, you know, like we drag our feet. I, I'm so guilty of this. I, I forget to text and forget to ask. And then once I get the information, I'm like, oh, I've got to put the BSB in. I've got to put the account number in. I've got to send it. And I've got to, oh, it's just a, you know, what's my, oh, you know, oh, I'll just forget about it. I'll do it another time. And a week goes by and a month. And then before you know it, you've, you've got, oh, it doesn't matter anymore. Like they haven't chased it up. And what James is saying is, is, is basically don't do this. You can, pay, you can pay them back. Pay them back. Go and, go and make sure that you, you 
you do what is right because even if they don't remember, God remembers. It's, it's an offense, he's saying. You've, if you wanna be countercultural, make sure you do this. Make sure you pay people back. Um, this hoarding of possessions and of wealth is really, it's really important. Um, you might think that seems like such a small thing, but it's really important. It's indicative of a life lived in luxury and self-indulgence. That's what verse five tells us. It says, you have lived in, on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. James is, uh, he's condemning the rich not because they are rich. That's what we need to really understand first and foremost. He's not saying uh, you're in trouble, you're, you're doing the wrong thing because you are rich. But because these people are living in luxury and self-indulgence, they're living in the things of this world, they're caught up in their, in their wealth. And I know for a lot of us, um, you might go, oh, phew, well, lucky I'm not rich because that sounds you know, really bad. Lucky I don't have much money. If there's students here tonight, you're like, oh, sweet. <laughs> like, this is great. Finally, it pays off. Um, pun not intended. Um, but if you're, you might be thinking like, um, when, this verse is, when this passage is talking about rich people, you might be thinking, well, you know, there's people out there, there's, there's guys like um, the founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, who has, you know, his, his net worth is $140 billion. And there's, you know, Elon Musk has um, a net worth of $250 billion. Maybe you're thinking that's what, well, that's who this would be addressed to. These are these rich people um, that would be addressed to. Um, I remember as a, as a teenager, I'm going to the movies and I thought just before I go to the movies, I'll check my bank account, make sure I'm all good. And I checked my account. I would have been 15 or 16 at the time. And I checked my account and it said I had negative $25 in my account. I didn't even know how that happened. I was 15. I, I just didn't, I didn't even know I had a debt. I, suddenly I had a debt to this, this bank. I had no idea. How, did that, how does that even happen? And at the time, obviously, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm not a rich man. Like, I'm not, I don't really have that much money. And you might be in a similar situation, but um, the reality is when we, when we truly come face to face with our luxury that we live as, as Australians in, in this country and um, as part of this society, we truly do live in luxury. We truly do, comparatively to the rest of the world. Um, Andrew, this morning, um, when he preached, on the same um, passage, he gave a great quote and said, we are someone else's Bill Gates. You know, we are comparatively to someone else in another country somewhere, we are Bill Gates to them. And you might think even if I, even if, you know, 15 year old me has negative $25 in his account, I still have people I can rely on. I still have people who are paying my way through school. I have my parents who are making sure I'm okay and paying for me through school. I still have wealth, I still have luxury, I still live in self-indulgence. So don't think tonight, well, this doesn't apply to me. Don't think tonight that this, um, you can kind of just, just let this one go. Um, and and here's, here's why, here's why, this, why else this does apply to you, is that um, in the New Testament, the rich and the poor, um, when the New Testament talks about the rich people and the poor people, it's referring to a social hierarchy at the time and um, to be poor in James's culture is not really in the same sense that we think of, of poor now necessarily. The poor were those who lacked economic um, stability. They, they lacked actually more than that. They lacked the basic needs for life. 
they lacked the basic necessities for life. They lacked economic security. Um, they were um, probably, you know, living destitute. They all very close to destitution and living without um, everything. And the only way that these people could survive was by, um, by begging on the street or by, by taking part in crime or um, selling themselves into slavery. Um, as well, in this group of the poor was people who had chronic illnesses, people who had uh, just had no means to, to basic life. And so what I'm trying to say is that these people, the poor in the Bible, literally had nothing, literally had no... Um, no security, nothing. And so their need for God was completely exposed, right? They, they desperately needed God because they had nothing else to make them feel secure. Their need for God was completely exposed. One commentator says, the poor are those whose material condition enables them to see more clearly than most the human need to be wholly reliant on God. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, blessed are the ones who, who realise that, that they need to be wholly reliant on God. They have nothing else. These are the poor in the Bible. They have nothing else. They need to be wholly reliant on God. The rich though, by comparison, if we compare the rich to the poor, the rich are under the illusion that enough wealth, enough possessions, Enough stuff brings with it self-sufficiency. It brings with it security. In fact, enough wealth, enough possessions, actually there is no need for God in the end. The rich are, are, are able to comfortably cocoon themselves, surround themselves and cocoon themselves in their wealth, in their possessions, so that they never have to deal with the reality of God. They never have to realise that they, are, they need to rely on God. They don't have to. And so for the rich, um, it's, it's so easy to, it's easy to ignore God because I have my immediate comforts with me. And in fact, it's easy to ignore the poor because um, I don't want to have to think about the fact that... Um, that there's more to life than my comforts. If I look at the poor, I come face to face with the fact that, um, that there's more to life, that there is actually a necessity of God. Um, I, in fact, my comfortable life is really disturbed when I look at, at, at poverty, when I look at people who are poorer than me. You know, I'm, I'm, I've left, I have to do something about my, my comforts and rich people don't wanna do that. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 19, 24, he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the problem with wealth, the problem with stuff, with money, is that it, it easily entangles. It easily ensnares. You know, it, it, it sets our minds off of God and onto our comforts. This is the danger of wealth that we're being told about. Now, all of us at some point or another, or we will at some point or another, maybe if you're not even getting a wage at the moment, when you do get a wage, you're going to be confronted with this. You are going to become rich in the sense that you're going to be able to buy things. You're going to be able to amass wealth so that you cocoon your life around these things. That's going to be a real temptation for all of us. If not, it, it 
probably is right now. This cocooning of our lives, of not wanting to face reality, of not wanting to face God, I can sort of just ignore God if I've got the right stuff, if I've got enough wealth, enough stuff. And uh, so the solution, you're wondering, this, this is a problem, there's a problem here. You know, what's the solution then? Is the, is the solution then to, to view wealth as this evil, you know, to view money as um, it's something to be done away with. We need to just not, not earn money. We need to get rid of all of our money. We need to, um, you know, see money as an evil. And uh, do we need to, another question you might be thinking, well, do I need to just throw myself into material poverty? Do I just need to just throw myself in, into there so I get into the kingdom of God that way? And the answer, it's, it's not quite that because that doesn't really get to the heart of the issue. That doesn't get to the heart of the, of the issue with this. You see, the Bible does not actually condemn wealth. It doesn't say money is bad. The Bible actually doesn't even hold up poverty as the path to righteousness. Jesus talked a lot about money and 11 out of the 40 parables he gave included stories about money. But he never once said that money is an evil. Money is a bad thing. He never condemned money. What we need to understand is it's not money that is is a bad thing, but it's it's the love of money that the Bible condemns. It's it's putting your hope in money that the Bible condemns. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. It doesn't say command those who are rich to stop being rich. It says command those who are rich to not be arrogant, And to not put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You know, it condemns, the Bible condemns uh, the love of wealth as well. First first Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And we know from this passage that we're reading tonight, we're not to hoard wealth either. There's, there's, when, we, when we understand money as a gift from God and that money has parameters around it, um, then money can be an incredible gift, incredibly good thing. It's when we take those parameters off that we, we find ourselves loving money more than God, loving wealth more than Him. Now, um, this doesn't mean as, as well... Um, that um, we kind of, you know, what, whatever we do with our money is actually our own um, doing. You know, it's, it's between, it's just our personal preference. Um, it, it's not even that if you have a right spiritual attitude or something that your, your wealth or, or lack of it is of no consequence. Um, the material does matter. The material is here for, for reasons. Um, nor is it that all rich people are necessarily arrogant and self-sufficient, while all poor people have incredible faith in God. It's, it's not that. Here's, here's the, here's the real, here's the real um, point of all of this, is that God's ultimate concern is the state of our hearts. That is, that's his ultimate concern, the state of our hearts. What we do with our money flows out of our heart. What we do with our money flows out of our hearts. So God's concern is to get our heart right. 
to bring our heart into alignment with His. And so what are we then to do? Where do we, where do we go from this? You know, this difficult passage that's given to us. Um, and, and if you're anything like me, you will struggle to, to think, well, what do I do with that? Like, I live in this blessed world. What, what actions do I take? Um, sorry, I live in this blessed life where I, I have all my financial needs met quite easily. I have all that I could ever want. Um, how do I actually draw the line between, um, between self-indulgence and necessity? And how do I draw the line between uh, luxury and, and what is just a good financial decision, you know, good stewardship of what I've been given? Um, the Bible actually doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't give us this direct answer to our exact culture right now. But it does tell us that we need to draw the line. We, we need to value drawing the line between necessity and self-indulgence between luxury and good stewardship. We need to draw that line. And whilst I'm in no, no real position, I'm, I'm absolutely still, um, still working through this. I'm in no position to give you personal advice, but I, I did um, this week as I was reading about uh, this, this passage and studying it, um, I came across three really good uh, perspectives that I, I'd, I'd like to share with you tonight in the hope that we can... Um, we can start to, to draw a line in these things in our lives. And they're from three uh, highly respectable Christian uh, people, um, incredible people of faith. And the first is, as we, as we know, Hudson Taylor, an incredible uh, man of faith. And uh, Elizabeth Elliot actually tells the story that every year Hudson Taylor went through all of his personal things. He every year went through all of his things and he felt that he had to um, be accountable to God as to whether he should keep them or not. And through all of his things, and um, he felt that he had to answer to God to retain them. And if he felt that either he hadn't used it in that year, or he felt that there was no good reason for him to keep it, he would give it away. He felt that if he, could, if he hadn't used it in a year, then he didn't need it, and that someone else needed it. This is the heart of God. You know, it's, it's not about me. It's about others. It's about God and others. And so that's how, that's how Hudson Taylor would draw the line. He, if, if he would go through his stuff every year. And this is something that I'm super keen to do. This is something that I'm definitely going to um, enact in my life. And um, it's, not a, it's not a case of, you know, living a minimalist life. I know that's really trendy at the moment to live a minimalist life. Minimalism um, in a secular sense, is really just you know, getting rid of lots of stuff so you simplify your life. Um, but it does so to serve the self. And we'll talk about the self a little bit later, but it does so to um, give yourself a better life. And this isn't about yourself living a better life. This is about letting others live a better life. This is about serving God and bringing yourself um, under his rule. And so it's not a case of just minimalism for the sake of it. It's a case of putting others before ourselves as Christians, as a, as a Christian community. That's the first. The second is um, John Wesley. And uh, John Wesley started out as a poor preacher in the uh, 1800s. Um, but by the end of his life, he was, he was just making tons of money, just making so much money from his publications. And uh, it's a well-known fact that, that Wesley, in his first year of ministry, earned 30 pounds and he gave away three. In his second year, he earned 40 pounds and he gave away 10 in his third year, he earned 70 and he gave away 40. And then one year, he earned 1,400 pounds 
and he gave it all away and just lived off of the 30. What happened for John Wesley is that he realized that there was this amount that he could live off and that was good enough for him. Even as he earned more and more money, he could still live off that small amount. That was fine. That's all he needed, more than he needed. And so the rest he saw as a gift to give away. Not more to spend on himself, but more to give away to others. He famously said, save all you can by cutting off every expense which serves only to indulge foolish desire, to gratify either the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eye, or the pride of life. He says, waste nothing on sin or folly. And what he means by that is don't waste money on, on sinful stuff, obviously, but also don't waste stuff on just bad financial decisions, on, on poor decision-making, you know? Don't waste that, whether this is for yourself or for your children. And then he says, give all you can, or in other words, give all you have to God. Save all you can so that you can give all you can is, is John Wesley's um, perspective, his outlook on this, which is um, incredibly uh, um, convicting, incredibly, you know, it's faith-stirring, I think. It's, it's, call to a, it's a call to a, a different life, a different outlook. And the last is um, Tim Keller. And Tim Keller draws upon John Wesley's example of, um, you know, he notices that John Wesley only needed 30 pounds to live off. And so Keller says, all Christians need to ask themselves this question. Is my standard of living going up as fast as my income? Is my standard of living going up as fast as my income? Is the stuff I'm spending, is, is the amount I'm spending on myself rising with how much I'm earning as my income? And Keller says, it must not. It must not. As a Christian, it must not. He says, the more money you make, the greater the distance between the lifestyle you live and the lifestyle you are capable of living. No Christian, he says, must live as well as they're capable of. You know, that's, that's tough. That is hard to hear in our society at the moment. That no Christian must live as well as they're capable of. There must be a, a divide between your standard of living and, and your income. And uh, those three perspectives... Um, I want you to, to take them and, and think about, you know, can I apply those? What does that look like for me to apply that in my life? And, um, you know, you might, you might tend towards one more than the other, but the reality is that all three of these perspectives demonstrate a sense of self-denial in favour of acknowledging God. They all demonstrate self-denial. And this is key to this passage is self-denial. Um, James is trying to build us, I said this at the start, trying to build us into being countercultural people, people that don't just go along with society, don't just, um, you know, just go along with, with whatever is happening, but to actually stand with what is good in society and stand against what is bad, what is, what is um, a bad part of society. And we don't have to look too far in our culture at the moment to see why self-denial of our possessions and self-denial of our wealth is an incredibly countercultural thing. I think um, young people, especially if you're here tonight, hear this, hear this well, is that our society is, is, is really a consumerist society. 
Our society runs on consumption. What, I'm, what I mean by that is um, as, as one, um, uh, one academic puts it, we are no longer defined by our jobs as we were in the past. We are actually defined in society by the clothes we wear. We're defined by the, the cars we, we drive, by the TV shows we watch, by the music we listen to. And in this consumerist society in the West is, is that the self is sovereign. The self chooses what, what goes, okay? And the self is free to decide what it wants and uh, no one can actually say otherwise. You know, our societies, it's built around the self. You know, you wanna do that, good for you. I have no, I've, you know, your truth is your truth. My truth is, is mine. You get, to do, you get to decide what's good for you and I can't, I can't stop you. And um, in fact, in a consumerist society, we're built around the things we consume, um, so much so that, that this means that anything can actually be bought. When money comes into it, anything can be bought. Um, if you think about these things, you know, every matter can be obtained by money. Pleasure can be obtained. Power can be obtained by money. Truth can be obtained by money. If you pay enough, um, if you pay the right experts, if you, you know, locate the right files, you can have truth. You can find your way to truth. You can pay for it. Beauty can be obtained through money. You can, you can make yourself look how, how, however you desire. Goodness can even be obtained by money. You know, if you go to the right seminars, if you, go to, if you read the right books, if you uh, subscribe to the right political beliefs, you can, be, you can actually obtain rightness. If you choose the right morals, you can have rightness as well. Um, but of course, ironically, it's the, it's the consumer that decides what's right as well. Do you see this? It's just a paradox of just a mishmash of views and a mishmash of, um, there is no truth. There is just, it's just, life is what you make of it. And that's a, that's a burden to live in. I see this in, in, in youth, in young people at the moment as well, just the burden of having to create your own existence, you know, justify your own existence and define your own existence. There's a burden in that. There's a weight to that, especially because culture changes so often. How do you find, how do you, how do you, how do you build yourself up in a culture that's constantly changing what is in and what is, what is out? It's impossible. Money, wealth, possessions in our consumerist culture is, is a means to more of the self. It's more, it's more of the self. Yet this is what Jesus says about the self in, in Matthew 16, 24. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus says, if you wanna be my, my follower, deny yourself and follow me. And I, I really can't think of anything more countercultural at the moment than this. There's nothing more countercultural at the moment than, than to deny ourselves, to deny feeding the self in life and to instead push back on being defined by, by society, to push back uh, by being defined on what we consume and instead be defined in the ultimate truth, in an ultimate power, in the person of Jesus. There's, there's nothing more countercultural at the moment than saying, I don't want more for myself. I want more of truth, of reality himself. I want more of God. I don't wanna be the sovereign. I wanna be subordinate. 
I wanna be second. I don't wanna be first. That is a countercultural thing to do and to say and to enact. But we must do it. We must do it. We must stand against this, this tide of, of self that is being advertised and being spilled out into our culture. And so what we do with our money is so essential to this. What we do with our possessions is so essential to this. When we hoard wealth, we, we, can, we overindulge in, in possessions and we cocoon ourselves around luxury and comfort. And James says, you know what? You've actually forgotten who you are when you do this. You've, you've forgotten. You've forgotten the gospel. You've actually forgotten, the, you've actually condemned and murdered the innocent one, Jesus. You've forgotten, you've forgotten what life is all about. You know, you, you hoard because you want comfort and you've forgotten that true comfort comes from knowing that you've been adopted in God's family. You know, you, you, want, you love money because you want temporary joy and you forget that there's everlasting joy to be found only in Jesus. Only in, in knowing and being known by Christ is there everlasting joy to be found. You've forgotten is what James is saying. And James then says, by, by result, he says, do not forget who you are. Do not forget that all you are, all you have, all you will have is a gift from God to be used for Him, to be used for others. It's not for yourself, is what he's saying. He's calling us to a greater Life, a greater life. One not bound by possessions, but freely enjoyed because of him who sets us free. You are not what you consume. Let me tell you that. You are not what you consume. In fact, your identity as a child of God has been given to you before, um, before time and matter even existed. That is the reality of, of, of being a part of God's story. Is you... You aren't just what you consume. You are justified not by what you do, but by Him who has created you. And so here's a response that, that James is calling us to have. And as the band come up, we're gonna, we're gonna actually take part in communion to uh, respond to this. And so um, you feel free to, to grab out that um, communion pack because the, the, the call for us what James is calling us to do is, it's, it's simple. It's to come and remember Him. Come and remember Christ. That's what it is. Come and remember Him. Remember Christ with your money. Remember Christ with your possessions. Do not, do not forget. Do not forget who you are created by God, given it an identity from God to be used by God. Don't forget that, James is saying. You know, don't just become a Christian and then start uh, sectioning off life and say, God, you can have Sundays, but you can't have my paycheck on, on Wednesdays, you know. It's all His when, you're adopted, when you are adopted into God's family. And uh, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he, he took the bread and he, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Do you see this? We get to partake in this right now. Eat in remembrance of me. Don't forget his body broken for you.
Don't forget that all that we have is a gift from God to be used for God. In the same way he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink in remembrance of me. Don't forget who I am and who you are to him. I thought what would be really, really good would be to just spend time. Yeah, this is a convicting message. This is, there's, there's conviction, but there's, there's also such a beautiful truth in here. God's conviction never leaves us condemned as, as, as Beck shared in her story. It, bring, it promises life. And there's a new life which we are called to partake in. There's forgiveness of sins, there's forgiveness for all those times that we've, we've stuffed up with our money. We've, we've gone the wrong way. There's forgiveness for that. Let's come. Let's bring that before the Lord. Let's bow in sub- submission to Him. Let's just take a few moments just to um, spend time in prayer and, and reflection. And then, you know, if you want to partake in, in remembering Christ, um, then, then you take the bread as you feel. And then we'll, we'll just hold on to the, um, the cup and we'll drink that together, but just take a few moments just to reflect. Let's stand together. United by Christ, we stand together as a community who say we don't want to just walk in what society would have us, but we, we want to remember Christ, remember Him. And let's drink together. Let's do that. Lord, we don't take this act lightly. We don't um, take these sacraments lightly, Lord. This is your body and your blood that we partake in. And we thank you, Lord, for it. We thank you for your coming to this earth and dying for us, Lord. So we may have eternal life. We may be reunited with the Father. And Lord, I want to pray for those who are, who are struggling with this, who are just in, in, in need of help from your Holy Spirit to, to bring their, their wealth into or bring their finances into alignment with you, great God. We all need your help. We all need your help. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit now would comfort, alert us, Lord, to ways just to, just to bring this under your will. And Lord, we, we pray and we, we worship you and we thank you because um, we know that this is, this is crazy by the world's standards, but it's, it's exactly how um, you've ordained life to be for us, living not as, as a sovereign self, but as you as sovereign and we under you, great God. And we, we long to live under you. So I pray, Lord, you would continue to do a work in us. May this not just be a, a Sunday thing, or just a, but an always thing, great God as we 
seek to live as embodied people, your embodied people, great God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're gonna sing, um, we're gonna sing a song called Remembrance. It's perfect for this. It's, it's talking about, you know, the bridge talks about you've been so, so good to me. Man, I just, I pray, let's hold on to that. Let's not forget who we are, who Christ is in our lives.
because uh, your word is so challenging and so convicting, Father God, and, and uh, just so impacting for our lives, Father. And I think for, for many of us, maybe challenged tonight by that. But I was just reminded, and particularly as we sung those words, Lord, that, that you, don't, you don't ask us or, or you don't uh, invite us in to surrender uh, or be generous because you want us to... Um, have a terrible life, but you actually invite us into a higher calling because you've actually got a good plan for our lives. It's because you want best for our lives, Father God. And it's so difficult for us. I know, I feel that in my own life, Lord, that there's moments you've called me to things I think, oh, I don't know if I can do that. And to be honest, there's some here tonight that thought, no, there's no way I could do that. There's no way I could surrender that. Uh, But you invite us in because you want the best for us. And I just pray, God, that You would help us by the power of Your Holy Spirit to surrender every area of our life. This one included that we've just discussed tonight, great God, to be a generous person, to be a willing person, to be a surrendered person in every aspect, Father God, because Your plan's perfect and Your will for our lives is always good, is always good. So Lord, help us in that. Uh, We need Your strength and Your empowerment in that. I know I certainly do, great God. Uh, So we really ask. Uh, that You'd help us to do that, Father God. We, we thank You, Lord, that You're with us. We thank You that You never leave us nor forsake us. And uh, yeah, we just love You, God. We really do. So Lord, yeah, yeah, we, uh, we thank You and we just pray all these things in Jesus' mighty and precious Name. Amen, amen. I sensed uh, we could have kept going there, but I think that's enough for tonight. Although we're gonna go out for dinner, you can grab some food if you'd like. You know what to do, obviously, if someone doesn't have money, uh, make sure you're generous. Um, But uh, God bless you. Have an awesome night. Shout someone tonight and uh, we'll see you soon. God bless.